Father, we come before you again. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for keeping us. Thank you for showering us with grace, Lord, and lifting up your countenance upon us. We thank you, Lord, for the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding. Pray, Lord, that you would guard our hearts and minds in Christ today. Guard us from the enemy, Lord. Guard us from every evil thought. As Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, may we dwell on these things. Lord, help us to lift our eyes and our hearts and minds to heaven to dwell on you today. Lord, you're beautiful, you're precious, you are glorious, you're majestic, you're holy, Lord, and we love you and we praise you and pray that you bless this message and encourage us today. Strengthen our faith, strengthen our hearts in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Title of today's teaching is Looking Forward to the Joys of Heaven. Looking Forward to the Joys of Heaven. Now, last couple weeks, I got some kind of a two sides to the same coin. I got some bad news. Um, a little over a week ago, we heard that Lisa Schimmel's dad passed away, and so I forgot to mention that last Sunday, but perhaps most of you have heard of that by now. Mark, Hunter, Lisa, oh, they lost their dad, and so that whole family, they've all been in our prayers. And then last Sunday, um, last Sunday night, James Evans texts me. Some of you guys know James, James Evans from Blessed Hope. See me, he texts me that his um, wife or ex-wife, I'm not sure where they were at at the end of her life, but she passed away. Um, Kimberly, that's uh, Caleb, if you know Caleb, Joshua, um, Haley's mom. So I told him we'd be praying for him and the whole family. I text Caleb and just told him we're praying for him and that um, hopefully he'll be comforted and at peace in the midst of the pain because she lost her battle with cancer. And then Wednesday night, Leah and I got a text message stating that Anita Rose, Jason Kovar and Jana Kovar's mom uh, died. And I guess she was riding her bike, got hit by a car and so I think my mom saw her like a couple days before or a week before. I was ministering to her. She was ministering to my mom. So that was tragic and that was heartbreaking. And then I woke up Thursday morning and I went to work. And then a friend texted me and he said, have you heard about Keith? And I'm like, how many more of these can we get? And I'm like, what happened with Keith? And he sent me a picture of a memorial service for Keith. And Keith is a guy that I used to work with at the rescue mission for over a year. And he's right around my age, a couple years older, and he passed away recently. And so just one after another, we're just getting these the news of people passing away. And it's, it's just another reminder that life is short, right? Life is but a vapor. That's what scripture teaches. We're here now, and then we stand before the Lord, and then there comes eternity. So a motto I live by is live each day as if you'll stand before the Lord tomorrow and give an account for your life. Live each day as if you'll stand before the Lord tomorrow and give an account for your life. It helps me keep the big perspective, the big picture, to look at the decisions I'm making in life and see if they're in accordance with God and his will and Lord willing, if I get a deathbed someday and we don't know, we're not promised tomorrow, but hopefully I can look back at my life and say, yeah, those decisions that I made throughout my life, they were worth it. They were risks at times that I took for the Lord and they were all worth it. Statement's been ringing in my head. Perhaps you've heard it. He is no fool that gives that what he cannot keep to gain that what 
he cannot lose. I think it was Jim Elliott. He was one of five men that were killed by the Harani tribe. He was a missionary, died in his late 20s. He went down to, I think it was Peru or somewhere in South America to minister to a tribe to win them to Jesus. He had several encounters with them, sharing the gospel, giving out pamphlets. He was told that they were a very um, vengeful tribe that anyone who stepped foot in there would die. And yet he continued to minister to them, thinking that he was gaining some headway. And then one day they came out and speared him and four of his friends. And he said, he is no fool who gives that which he cannot keep to gain, that what he cannot lose. Are we willing to give our lives? And that is what his motto was. That, And that's what Jesus said, right? If you hold on to your life, if you try to gain your life, you'll lose it. If you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you'll gain it. So our lives are the Lord's, right? Whether we live, whether we die, we are the Lord's. But I don't know about you, I need some encouragement. I need some encouragement in life. You know, sometimes the bad news can tend to overwhelm or cloud out the good news. I mean, news of death is horrible, but as far as I know, the four people that have recently passed away, as far as I know, they knew the Lord. And Psalm 1611, once again, in your presence, Lord, is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Those who have died in Christ go to stand with the Lord in joy, in peace, inexpressible joy and peace and comfort, pleasures forevermore. Today I want to talk to you about finding encouragement in the joys of heaven. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Today my goal is to give us a good word. And in one sense it's easy to give a good word. Because at the heart of the Christian message, it's called the good news. Euangelion, that's the Greek word, the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, but that he conquered the grave. Death has no sting, as the scripture says. He's ruling and reigning, and all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So it's not the rulers of this world who ultimately rule. And it's not what other people say about you that ultimately matters. It's what God says about you and I. That's what matters. If you're in Christ, if you've re- if you repented of your sin, if you're trusting in Jesus, this is what the scripture says about you. You're loved. You're forgiven. Your future is secure in him. He's your hope. He's your joy. He's your peace. And when we remain in him, according to Romans chapter 8, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. These are good verses to meditate on, to memorize, to think on. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely. If there's anything of good repute, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. I think these are some of the things that Paul is talking about, that God is for us. So who really can be against us? If the king of the universe is in your corner, then what else really 
matters. Those who have died in Christ, as I mentioned, they're experiencing inexpressible joy, a joy that we can't even comprehend on this side of eternity. So that should bring us joy, and that should also make us jealous and want to be there as well. Have you ever heard the old saying, you're so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good? I'm convinced Satan has done a great job at making many people so earthly good that, well, they're not heavenly-minded or they're not understanding truly what the good news means or the good news to come in eternal life. If you'll turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, I want to look at the last couple verses, spend a couple minutes here, and then we're going to bounce around a little bit. Philippians chapter 3, here's Paul, verse 17. He's going to give an exhortation, and then he's going to give an encouragement. And part of this exhortation he gives in tears. He gives it weeping. The Greek word is actually a loud wail. It's the same Greek word used when Peter denied Christ and Jesus looked over at him and it says that Peter wept bitterly. It's the same word used of Jesus when he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her, how often I wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were unwilling and Jesus wept loudly over Jerusalem. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 3, 17. Brethren, join in following my example. And observe those who walk according to the pattern that you ha- have in us. That's his first exhortation. Follow me, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, as I follow Christ. Any mature Christian should be able to say that. I've been convicted lately just at home with how I need to be more patient with my wife, more patient with my kids, more loving to them. Can I say to others, follow me in my example of how I deal with my family as I follow Christ? keeps me in check. Paul is a mature, godly man. He says, brethren, join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. All of us should be able to say that to one extent or another as Christians, and then we should look to others that walk closely in step with Christ and follow their example. Verse 18, for many walk of whom I've often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Just like I talked about, Satan's good at getting people so focused on earthly things, and this is what Paul says is what's bringing people to destruction. And he's not arrogantly saying it. He's not pridefully saying it. He's saying it with tears. He says, I'm even weeping as I'm telling you this, that people are against the cross of Christ. They're going to hell. He's devastated. He even says in Romans 9, I, I could wish that I myself were a curse for Christ, that I was separated from him so that my countrymen would be saved. Like Moses, blot me out of your book, Lord. Moses being this intercessor for Israel who's wicked and going astray and God's like, I'm going to wipe them all out. And Moses is like, wipe me out. Talk about a sincere heart. Talk about selflessness. This was... Paul's desire. So that's the exhortation and then the encouragement. Verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory 
by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Paul's saying we dwell on heaven. That's our home. That's our destination. That's where our citizenship is. We're eagerly waiting for our Savior who will transform the body of our humble state. I want to give you three reasons today, three reasons why we should look forward to the joys of heaven. And reason number one, it's found in verse 21, our bodies will be transformed into conformity with the body of his glory. No more bad eyes, no more arthritis, no more back pain, no more sickness, disease, cancer, whatever other ailments you've had or perhaps are causing you distress today, it will all be done away with. So the NASB says the body of our humble state. If you have an NIV version, it says lowly bodies. King James actually says our vile bodies, that Jesus will change our vile bodies. The Greek is literally translated our bodies of humiliation, our depressed, low, humble. Tapinosis is the Greek word. These humble bodies deal with a lot due to the fall of Adam, due to sin in this world, due to the second law of thermodynamics that everything is slowly decaying. And I don't know about you, but I try to stay up on my vitamins. I take magnesium before bed every night, vitamin D and kelp and beef liver pills, and I'm trying to get energy. I'm trying to get a clear mind. I'm trying to do whatever I can to reverse aging that goes on in my life because I'm not 16 anymore, and it stinks. And the older I get, the harder it is to work out and to stay healthy and digestive enzymes and all those things. I don't know what you guys take, but we got to stay up on those things, right? Now, who wrote this? Paul, right? Paul wrote this text, and I believe that perhaps more than anyone, he longed for this radical transformation transformation that Jesus is going to bring about in the last days at the end of time where it says by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things into himself. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 it will happen in the twinkling of an eye. These mortal bodies will take on immortality. will live on forever in the likeness of Christ. So here's Paul beaten times without number, shipwrecked, Stoned to death, though God raised him back up. Bad eyesight, all sorts of bodily ailments. He says we have no food and covering at times. He's starving at times. If anyone wanted these new bodies, a new body, it was the Apostle Paul. Second century writer stated in his description of Paul, he's a man of middling size. His hair was scanty. His legs were a little crooked. His knees were far apart, and he had large eyes, and his eyebrows met. His nose was somewhat long. Here's this bow-legged Paul, perhaps could barely walk, big old eyes that many commentators believe could barely see, if not blind. And yet he continued till the end to preach the gospel, to be faithful to the Lord. But there was that struggle going on. Man, I want that heavenly body. Lord, I want to be transformed into your likeness listen to romans 8 22 and 23 he says for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers pains of childbirth together until now 
He says, and not only this, but we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. We eagerly wait for the redemption of our body. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 4.16. I want to read a passage to see Paul's heart, his desire to take on the new heavenly body, the struggle that he had in his earthly body that perhaps we have at times as well. 2 Corinthians 4.16. I want to read to chapter 5, verse 10. Listen to Paul's heart. He says, Therefore, We do not lose heart. Though the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed in order that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very purpose is God who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You hear the struggle there. We, we long to be clothed with these heavenly bodies. We don't lose heart. Though their outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Paul says we groan. It's the same Greek word that he used in Romans 8, 22 and 23, stenazo, we groan. So, some translations say we sigh. It's, it's a word used of anguish, of frustration. This inner battle going on as he's having all these pains and outward aches. Inwardly, his spirit's growing and he wants to be at home with the Lord, this new body. This week, Leah had her wisdom teeth pulled out. I don't know if you guys have ever, well, she had two of them pulled out. I don't know about the other two, if they're going to grow in. Um, Have you guys ever had your wisdom teeth pulled? This girl at work was telling me that she had hers pulled out a couple years ago, and they put her under anesthesia, and then when she came out of it, she was crying and like a total wreck, and then they gave her these pills, strong pain medication. I don't know if they were Vicodin or what, but she she said they told her to take those, so she took them, and then she was even more crazy. She was just like slobbering all over the place and acting. She was like taking all these pictures of herself. She's like, I never do that. I was totally going insane from the medication and the anesthesia, and so she was actually telling me this before Leah went in, and so I was expecting to come home and see Leah like on the couch, like, I'm going crazy. 
And she wasn't put under anesthesia, though. She just got a couple shots, some numbing agents in her mouth. And I got home, and it, she was fine. We were just talking as if nothing happened. And so I was like, wow, she dealt with that pretty well. But I think later that night or the next day, the pain started to set in. And, and she had neck pain and back pain. And I was like, oh, man, here we go. I thought, I thought we were in the clear. I thought we were good. And... I thought about if I ever got my wisdom teeth pulled, I'd probably go under anesthesia. So she's pretty tough. And I told her every time I bring her up, you know, Pastor Joe would say I give Josiah $5, I think. So she told me this morning if I bring her up, I have to give her $15. So this might be the last time in my notes. Let me see. But, but it's just a reminder that these bodies are decaying. These bodies are going through anguish and pain. I was doing the dishes this week and somehow I was cleaning something jammed right under my fingernail and I looked at it like I thought my whole hand was bleeding and cut off and I, Leah says I can be dramatic but I look down and it's like I can barely even see anything there and I'm like you have to be kidding me like my finger was throbbing and I I kept looking like surely there's evidence that something very crazy happened and I woke up the next morning and went to school and to the school that I work at and my finger, I could feel throbbing, but I couldn't see really something went under the fingernail. I couldn't tell. But for days it was bothering me and I would even jam it at like somehow a random book would hit it or things would hit it. And I'm like, how, uh, how are things hitting this one little spot of my finger out of everything? And so Leah and I joke like, maybe my pain tolerance is low. I don't know. But once again, reminder after reminder that our bodies are decaying. Our bodies experience pain in this world. And one day we'll have imperishable bodies, incorruptible bodies that will never decay. This was Paul's desire. He longed for it. We should long for it as well. Okay, point number two. Number two reason why we should look forward to the joys of heaven. We will be rewarded by the righteous judge. This is throughout scripture. Scripture teaches that Christians will be rewarded. The other day, Leland cleaned the kitchen and Leah bought him, I brought her up again. Leah brought, bought him a slingshot and he's shooting rocks at neighbors' houses and all sorts of stuff. I hope he didn't bring it here today. But that's all he thinks about now is I want to play with a slingshot. Let's go shoot rocks everywhere. And poor guy, he's going to be outdoorsman, just constantly breaking things, shooting things. But she rewarded him. He worked hard. We said, okay, you clean the kitchen, you do this and that. You will be rewarded. It's a good thing, right? You, you're getting what you deserve for putting in hard work. Now in the scripture, we're not saved by our good works. Our good works amount to a hill of beans and God's standard is perfection, perfect righteousness, which we all fall short. That's the purpose of the law. It's a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. It's a mirror that shows us, man, we fall really short. Jesus did all the work. He paid the price. He died on the cross for our sins. And because we're saved in him, when we put our faith and trust in him, now we do good works. Summed up in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's prepared us for good works. If you love the Lord, 
If you have the Holy Spirit, you will do good works, and God will reward those good works at the last day. Revelation 22:12. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Matthew 5:11 and 12, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then there's Revelation 11:18. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. The wicked will be judged. Their works will amount to nothing because they rejected Christ, rejected to the only one that could save them. They'll be cast into hell, will be judged by our good deeds, and God will reward us accordingly. And the scripture teaches that every Christian will be crowned. Every Christian will be rewarded. Some, as it says, I believe, in 1 Corinthians 3, you're going to be tested by fire. Your works will be tested, and what remains will be rewarded. Some of us are going to stand before the Lord, and he's going to say, yeah, you did this and that, and that was to be seen by men. Oh, you prayed this and that, that was to be heard by men. Yeah, you gave this money and did that, that was to be seen by men. That's going to burn up but you're still saved. And here's some amazing rewards. Here's a crown. And some are going to stand before the Lord and he's going to say, wow, you prayed in secret. You gave in secret. You did this not to be seen by men. You did amazing good works unto me. Here's your reward accordingly. Second Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Paul at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. Here's what he says. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith in the future. There's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. I'm going to get this crown, Paul's saying. And God's not only giving me this crown, he's giving it to all those who have loved his appearing pretty awesome when you think about it. You're going to be crowned by the Lord. We're going to serve him. We're going to rule and reign with him. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. God is a righteous judge. Jesus is a perfect judge. He will reward his saints accordingly. Matthew 10, 42, if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly, I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Sometimes judges here on earth get it wrong. One of the things I used to do growing up, it was somewhat of a tradition, so I'd go to my grandpa's house and we'd watch boxing matches. He had what was called a black box. And this black box was something that was illegal and you're not supposed to have. And I was a kid. I didn't know. I don't know how old I was, maybe eight or nine. But he could get all these boxing matches on pay-per-view and HBO when it was all free. So we'd always go to his house Friday night and Saturday night. And he'd spoil me and make me food. And then we'd watch fights. And that's what we did. And so I grew up watching Holyfield and Tyson and Butterbean and Vargas and De La Hoya. And I could tell you all the names and some of the fights. But sometimes I'd watch these fights and grueling 12 
round fights where one guy was just dominating the match. And I'm like, surely this guy won. I mean, he connected more punches. Maybe he knocked the other guy down. But then it goes to the scorecard. Then the judges, you see their scorecard and 97 to 94, 90 to blah, blah, blah. And it's like the wrong guy, the judge, or the referee raises his hand. And I remember sitting there as a kid like, what? What are you talking about? He didn't win. I'm like jumping up and down, punching the screen. I didn't really do that. But I'm like, this is not right. That guy won. They rewarded the wrong person, right? This happens in our world. Judges get it wrong. In sports at times, it's not completely fair. Sometimes the judges are just wicked judges. Sometimes they're bribed. Who knows what goes on behind the scenes? Perhaps you've heard of this story. Some of you weren't born. April 21st, 1980, Rosie Ruiz was crowned by judges winner of the Boston Marathon with a time of two hours, 31 minutes, and 56 seconds. I believe that's around a five-minute, 45-second mile. She was booking it. She was rewarded a medal, a laurel wreath, and a silver bowl. There's pictures online of police officers carrying her, basically, as she's crossing the finish line. She's apparently exhausted. She just ran 26 point two miles looking like she's going to fall over she's in agonizing pain well the only problem was she jumped into the race a mile before it ended and nobody caught it so there she was that last mile man she was booking that last mile she looked tired this is the boston marathon one of the biggest races in america and she fooled them for eight days she was crowned the victor of the boston marathon for eight days Praise the Lord, they found out that she was a cheater. If you read about her, the rest of her life was just scores and scores of just wicked things, and she died fairly young and at 66, but just crazy, right? But sometimes, you know, eight days later, they found out and stripped her of these medals and whatnot, but sometimes they don't. And sometimes people get away with things in this life, and sometimes the wrong person is rewarded. And perhaps you've experienced that maybe at a job or in this world at times. Like, that guy doesn't deserve the promotion. He doesn't deserve the accolades. He doesn't deserve the awards. I'm working hard over here. I'm busting my butt behind the scenes. I'm doing all this, and you're going to give that person all that money? God sees everything. He is the righteous judge. He will reward us perfectly. Matthew 6, 4, those who give in secret, Jesus said, will be rewarded by our Father in heaven. Matthew 6, 6, those who pray in secret will be rewarded by the Father. Matthew 6, 18, those who fast in secret will be rewarded by the Father. And he's contrasting the Pharisees there who give in public, who pray these prestigious, amazing prayers in public to be seen by men. They fast in public to be seen. And Jesus says, their reward is in full. They're getting their reward now. They're getting some praise of men now. But on that last day, they will not be honored. They'll be denied. You will be honored. You will be crowned. You will be rewarded. Matthew sixteen twenty seven. For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then reward, recompense every man according to his deeds. I had a job working for an ambulance company, $9 an hour. 
you would have thought $9 an hour, that was something that was made like 30 years ago. This wasn't all that long ago. Nine bucks an hour. They were running me into the ground, working 70, 80 hours a week. I'd get my paycheck and there was money missing. No bonus checks come Christmas time. No time off. I had to work Christmas Day and Thanksgiving Day and not even a thank you. Sometimes we have good bosses. Sometimes we have bad bosses. Sometimes we're rewarded appropriately. And sometimes we aren't in this world. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and the labor of love which you have shown toward his name. Rejoice that God is going to make all things right, that he is going to bless you on that last day if you're trusting in him and doing good deeds unto him. Here's my last point for today. The last reason we should look forward to the joys of heaven. Very simply, we get to be with Jesus. What is heaven without Jesus? Heaven would be hell without Jesus. John couldn't have got any closer to Jesus. That last supper, there he was with his head right upon Jesus' chest. You know, my son Leland, he gets really close to me when I eat. At times I want to push him away. I'm like, I'm trying to eat. I'm trying. But inside I'm like, he's just a kid. You know, he just wants to be close to daddy. And that's what I see John. I just want to be close to Jesus. I want, it's like, can he get any closer? He's trying to be right there. And I imagine part of Jesus is like, John, get away. Like, and the other part of him is like, no, this is, I love John, right? But Mary Magdalene at the tomb, when Jesus rose from the grave, literally Jesus tells Mary Magdalene, if you remember, stop clinging to me. Because she finds out that it's Jesus. At first she's like, they stole the body. She thinks Jesus is a gardener. And he reveals himself to her and she won't let go. And he's like, no, it's not time yet. I haven't ascended to my father. Go tell the other disciples. There's work to be done. But I love these pictures of those who love Jesus. Mary Lazarus's sister washing Jesus with her hair, breaking this alabaster jar, just wanting to be there at the feet of Jesus. I love what Paul says in Philippians 1.23, but I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart to be with Christ, for that is very much better. Polus Milan Chrysan, that's the Greek. Literally, very much more better. It's not great English, but it's great theology. Very much more better. I really, 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 that's what he's saying, really, really want to be with Jesus. But man, there's work to be done. So he's hard-pressed. He says, if I'm going to remain on with you, Philippians, it will be that I'm pouring into you so that your joy will increase Matthew Henry says of Philippians 1.23, the apostle's difficulty was not between living in this world and living in heaven. Between these two, there is no comparison. But between serving Christ in this world and enjoying him in another. Paul knew there was work to be done. Paul knew that the Philippian church needed him. They needed his gifts. They needed his teaching. They needed him to continue to encourage them, minister to them but he also knew how badly he wanted that glorified body, how badly he wanted to be with Christ. Perhaps you've heard the questions before or even asked these questions. Is there going to be sports in heaven? Will there be baseball or football or basketball or 
golf. Christian brother was asking that the other day, so I was talking to him. What about hunting or fishing? He says, if there is fishing, does that mean we get to reel in like a 50-pound bass or whatever it was, catfish? Or I'm not a huge fisherman, but my brother is Tommy. So, Tommy, if you're listening, come out here and teach me. But will my pet dog be there? Will my pet cat, my turtle? What's what's it going to be like? Fifi going to be there? You know, and we, we hear these questions or we ask and and not to demean pets or because pets can be awesome. And But if there is any of these things in heaven, they're going to be way beyond what they are here. And if they're not, whatever God has in store for us is going to blow those out of the water. We're not going to be sitting there like, man, I wish there was college basketball. I wish I could just watch the Lakers right now. I'm bored. It's not going to be like that. Whatever God has in store for us is going to blow these things out of the water. If he can bless us, if he can give us all things to enjoy in a sinful, fallen world that is full of sin, destruction, and death, do we trust him that he can give us so much more in the new heavens and the new earth? I think that's really at the crux of where Satan wants to attack us. Because if he can get us off of looking forward to the joys of heaven and looking forward to the joy of being with Christ and looking forward to ruling and reigning with him, then he can hamper what we do here and now in this world. He can cause us to be depressed and checked out and on the sidelines and not in the game, not like Paul to where he's like, okay, if I'm staying for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, it's a win-win situation. That's what it should be for us as I bring this to a close I was watching my daughter Verity's last soccer game the other day and it was fun to watch Leland's game was after and that was not so fun to watch because they just kept scoring goals on my son it was very difficult to watch but he had fun and I'm like we don't want to ruin the fun that Leland had at his game I just wanted to yell at him after like block the ball son use your hands we're not allowed to use hands in soccer. It's like it's when you're the goalie, you can, believe me. <laughs> and so I was just so irritated. I went home frustrated and had to hold it together. But Verity did pretty well. And at her game, one of the dads, another girl on the team, her, her dad was talking to me, and he saw that Leland had a sticker on his um, helmet that said, I love Jesus. And then he said, well, what do you do for a living? And I told him about the church. And I told him about the school that I work at. And he goes, what's your favorite uh, book of the Bible? And I thought about it for a second. And I said, I love the book of Philippians. And he said, Philippians? And it seemed as though he never, well, maybe he read it before, but he didn't seem too familiar. He goes, I'm going to go home and read Philippians. And he said, I think he asked me, like, what do you like about it? And I started to tell him a couple things about the book and why I really like Philippians and I later found out he's a Latter-day Saint, served a two-year mission in Ireland. And I was like, man, he doesn't know Philippians? I hope he read this book. You know, in chapter 2, it says that Jesus was in the very form of God and didn't regard equality with God something to be held on to, but he emptied himself. And, you know, it shows the deity of Christ. And I hope he read it. I invited him to church. But I love the book of Philippians because it's a book of joy. Over 20 times, around 20 times, the word joy or rejoice is used. 
But those who know the book of Philippians know that Jesus is mentioned over 50 times. Four short chapters. Paul can't stop talking about Jesus. So that's your homework assignment. Go read the book of Philippians. Meditate on Philippians. See how many times Jesus is mentioned and how in love with Jesus Paul is. Paul's writing from a Roman prison and he's saying, I'm rejoicing. Could we rejoice in a Roman prison? I have difficulty rejoicing in my air-conditioned home with food in the fridge and all that I have. He's rejoicing. He's in a Roman prison and he says, if I stay, I'll rejoice. If I get out, I'm going to rejoice. And if God takes me home, I'm going to rejoice. It's a win, win, win situation. Rejoicing to be with Jesus, rejoicing to be in prison, rejoicing in all things. And that's what he says throughout Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I'm content in all circumstances. I know how to live in abundance. I know how to live with nothing. In every and any circumstance, I know the secret. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's my heart for us today. That's what I long for, to rejoice now and to look forward to the joys of heaven.